Numbers chapter 16, verse 23. I'm going to, kind of, I'm going to start doing... I want to do a few messages uh, over the next few weeks. We'll kind of see uh, where the Lord leads with it. But um, there's a lot of stuff that's in the Old Testament that I'm just going to be honest, when you read it, it's real easy to look and think, man, that is some really harsh stuff. I mean, there's... Um, if a child, you know, was to be rebellious to his parents and they chasing him and he still wouldn't listen, they were to finally say, take him for the elders and say, hey, we can't control this kid. And they'd stone him. I mean, it was, I mean, you read it like, whoa. And I mean, they stoned a lot of people. And a lot of times people, you know, look at that Old Testament stuff and it'll kind of freak them out a little bit. And they'll get kind of uh, embarrassed. Oh, and then they'll start kind of making excuses for it in a way that they probably shouldn't. And listen, I'm not saying we need to go stoning rebellious children. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that the Bible, I mean, clearly uh, condemns. And think there was one man who was uh, gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, and we're supposed to do that. They took him and they stoned him. And we and you see that. And sometimes. Uh, you know, Christians they'll almost get embarrassed about it because, like, you know, they're trying to. There's people out there that don't like the Bible and like to maybe make fun of it a little bit, and they'll bring up stories like that. And a lot of times, too, Christian people they don't even know those stories, and they kind of get embarrassed. You know, and they're like, "Oh, does God expect you to stone all these people?" Oh, oh no! And then we start making excuses, and then that's when we can fall into the trap where um, some of the Things that the Old Testament would say, for example, concerning homosexuality and things, uh, where they dealt very harshly with that too. And then they'll say, you know, they'll say, well, you want to be harsh on that, but you don't want to be in these other things and tell you you're compromising and picking and choosing. And people just get really confused. And there's a reason for all this stuff, and we're not going to get into all of it tonight. We don't have time, but I'm hoping over the next few weeks that we can kind of uh, look at some of these things and have an understanding of why God did things the way He did then, why maybe we don't do some of these things now. Because the truth is, um, I don't I don't believe... I've heard some pastors preach, and I think they still want to be stoning people. And... Um, uh, I I really don't believe we need to be doing that. And I don't believe God expects that from us. And hopefully, uh, as we kind of study, we're going to look at some of these stories in the Bible, and we're going to go through them, and we're going to hopefully have a better understanding by the time we're all done. But tonight, I want to look at uh, I'm going to uh, we're going to look at a few different stories of things that God did to other people. Uh, some bad people. And in Numbers chapter 16, verse 23, I want us to read this story here. It's an interesting story. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. 
And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. Coradathan and Abiram, whenever you see these guys, they're always giving Moses grief. These guys were a pain in the neck. Uh, sometimes it specifically mentions them. Sometimes it doesn't. But pretty much any time you see the people wanting to stone Moses, and it was quite a bit, it was these guys kind of leading the pack. They uh, wanted to be the you know they wanted to be the leaders. They were always kind of undermining Moses. And so it's time though that people need to figure out who to follow. And God's kind of tired. He's fed up with dealing with these people. They've caused enough trouble, and so. They have all of them. They got Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, their group, their families, their little children. All of them. They're there by their tents. And then Moses says in verse 20, If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. In other words, if these guys just die a normal death, I'm not the one that God has sent. I am not your leader. Go ahead and follow them. But, if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertain unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertain unto them, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out fire from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men that offered incense. Very, very clear. Uh, who was right in this situation? I mean, can you just imagine seeing that even the ground opening up and swallowing somebody up? That wouldn't be too crazy. You could say, well, it was an earthquake. You know, Moses just got lucky. And it was a coincidence. But no, it wasn't just that. It swallowed them up and then it closed back up. That doesn't happen. Okay? That is not any type of natural act. That was clearly of God. And, and then notice all the other people. These are probably the ones that were always kind of joining up with them. They got scared and they started running. It's, it's going to happen to us too. I was on their side. I was going to do what they said to do. And these people, they're all panicking. And let me tell you, it was settled right there. And whenever I read that story, when I've read that story in the past, the question that always comes to my mind sometimes is why doesn't God do that now? I mean, really, wouldn't that kind of solve a lot of problems? I mean, when we're having presidential debates. Okay? Wouldn't it be nice if the one that was wrong, God would just open up the ground and swallow them up? Wouldn't that make it clear? Wouldn't that make it so obvious to everybody? But uh, we haven't seen that yet. If he, God did that, He'd probably have to swallow all of them up. I mean, it's, uh, uh, we, we wouldn't have any candidates left. But I mean, you, when you see that, you, you look in the Bible, and a lot of times people think it'd be, it would have been so much easier to serve the Lord back in those days. It would have been so much easier to believe back in the Bible days we could have seen these things. And the truth is, that's not true. If we can't believe God now with this Bible that we have, then we wouldn't believe then. And that's 
another story, another message, but another example that I think is interesting in Second Kings chapter one. Second Kings chapter one verse nine. It says, Then the king sent unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty. They're going after Elisha or Elijah. And so the king sent unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty, and he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of a hill, talking about Elijah, and he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. That's pretty interesting there. Elijah makes that statement. Elijah, he was a feisty fellow. If I be a man of God, let fire come down. I think that kind of answered that question. And we're not going to go through and read the whole thing, but then a second captain comes with his 50. Elijah does the same thing. If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. Sure enough, fire came down from heaven. Consumed those soldiers. Finally, the third group comes along. And this guy, he was smart. Uh, We'll look what the Bible says. Uh, He said... uh, I went past it there. And he said to the captain of the third 50 with his 50, and the third captain of his 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burn up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And then after this, God tells Elijah, go ahead and go with them. But notice this soldier's attitude. I mean, this trained soldier with 50 guys is at the mercy of this one man of God who probably didn't even have a weapon. If anything, maybe a sword was all that he had. And he's at his mercy. Why is that? Because look at what Elijah was doing. Look what God was doing. He's consuming these people. Why doesn't God do that now? Whenever people question us, when we're given the Gospel, fine. If I'm telling you the truth, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you. You do that to your co-workers, the rest of them are going to listen to you. <laughs> I mean, and the, and the truth is, I mean, that's what this guy did here. He listened after that because he was scared. He knew what happened to the last two groups and he didn't want it to happen to himself. But these are Old Testament, even in the New Testament. And this is something we're going to get into in some of the, in, uh, maybe in one of the later weeks, but I want to look at this story, and you probably know this one, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. We're not going to read it, but verse 1 through 11, it talks about that, how you know, Barnabas, he had went and sold his possessions. He laid them at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira, they decided to do the same thing, but they decided to keep back part of the money, which was fine, but they decided to lie about it. They wanted to put on a show, and they pretended to be giving all, and God killed Ananias right there, right there in the church service. Sapphira wasn't in there. They bring her in. They give her a chance to come clean and tell the truth. She lies, falls over dead right there. And all the church, the Bible says, I mean, in verse 11, great fear came upon all the church and as many as heard these things. Now listen, we have a pastor. He knows this, I'm sure, as well as anybody. Not everybody that's in church are Christians or live like Christians. Sometimes people will lie to you. Even in the church house. Can you imagine... 
And it could cause problems. But could you imagine if you told a lie in the house of God, you fell over dead? I think it stopped the line, wouldn't it? I think it solved. I think it solved that problem. We might not have too many people in our churches, but it would solve the problem. Why doesn't God do that now? And you know, and it's it is. It's, you, you can almost sometimes get a little frustrated and think, you know, Lord, it's just, it's so hard to get anything across to anybody these days. You know, Lord, if we had, you know, Lord, you just give us some of the tools you gave the Old Testament prophets. Lord, give me the ability to call fire down. Hey, we're, we're like that sometimes. The disciples. They did. They asked Jesus when the folks wouldn't receive him. Lord, you know, give us the power to call fire down from heaven on them. <laughs> I tell you, we don't we don't usually come out and pray that out loud, but we've thought it plenty of times. If you're honest, but God's not doing that now. He's not calling fire down. Uh, we're not calling down fire on anybody. People aren't uh, falling over dead when they lie in the church house. The ground's not opening up and swallowing the people that are causing problems. And why not? Why doesn't God? Do those things now. Why did he do it then, and why doesn't he do it now? Well, just a few things that I want to look at, and that, and one of those reasons is we have a Bible that's supposed to settle all arguments. They didn't have the completed Word of God back then. They didn't. Have, they didn't have those things. We do. It's supposed to settle the argument. It's. It shouldn't matter to us. You and I, especially. We shouldn't need to see people get swallowed up in the earth to accept what God's Word has to say. That we don't need that at all. We have God's Word. Well, it's, it's, it's the Bible. It's, it's black words on white paper. It's not enough. Well, Psalms 138 verse 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy Word above all thy name. That's why the Word of God is so important. That's why we don't believe in tampering with the Word of God and trying to change it and trying to improve it or anything like that. Because this Word of God, it's it's precious. God holds Himself accountable to His Word. There's people sometimes that will say things like, well, God told me to do this. And, wow, well, that sounds like a good authority. You ought to listen to God. But yet, at the same time, you can take the Bible and show where God would never command that type of thing. There's people who said, God told me to kill somebody. Well, but God's Word says, thou shalt not kill. Yeah, but God told me to kill them. Well, okay. If there's a, But there's higher powers, I guess you could say. And God's Word trumps what God says. And you say, well, that's kind of blasphemous and isn't against God. No, it absolutely isn't. God's the one that set that up. Because the truth is, if God is contradicting Himself, if God's sending mixed signals, He's not much of a God, is He? And He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He does not lie. And so if He says to do something or if He says not to do something, that's not going to change. And so the Bible, God's Word, always trumps everything else it doesn't. It's not circumstances. A lot of times, people will tell, want to tell you their story. Maybe you're having a discussion about whether something's right or wrong, and you can go and you can show them a clear Bible verse. But then they will want to tell you a story, or they'll want to tell you about some situation, or maybe some experience, or even some miracle, or sometimes even maybe some dream that they had. And I'm sorry, that doesn't trump the Word of God. And 
People, they, they hang on to those things and, and we get sometimes frustrated and we get, because we just can't seem to get across. Like, it's right there. Lord, this isn't working. Let's just call fire down from heaven. Lord, that'll fix it right there. But no, that's not what God wants. That is not it at all. God wants us to follow His Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 so All Scripture it's given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God is that's what that's all we need. It doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. We ought to, we need to learn to just put our faith and trust in what God's Word says. And I thank God He gave us that, that we have something that we can see, something that we can hold, something that we can look at, that we can count on, something that doesn't change because the truth is what man says and what man thinks, it changes all the time. It's constantly people are just all over the place. They're back and forth, and you just can't count on anything else. But thankfully, we have the Word of God, and this is what God wants us to follow. We used to, as a society and even as a nation, we believed a lot more in you know the authority of the Bible, the authority of written laws and things. You know our nation we were set up as a republic uh, we we're a nation that was uh, you know based on laws we had laws we had a constitution now people don't like that now it's all about oh, it's the will of the people whatever the people want and we rarely go back and look at what the constitution has to say so like, hey they, they put they gave we have this con- the constitution that we have they set these things up they knew we needed guidelines these guys understood the way societies can go if they're not careful, we thought we they thought we've got to have a set of laws that we hold ourselves to, that we hold ourselves accountable to, that uh, goes. I mean, it supersedes anything that we say. And unfortunately, we're not doing that in our country, and that's why we're talking about some of the goofy stuff that we're talking about and voting on things that shouldn't even be a debate. And it's it's sad, but that's what happened. We don't people don't care about a written word anymore. And I understand questioning maybe what man writes and what man comes up with, but I don't understand questioning the Word of God. But another thing, so we have a Bible. That's supposed to settle the arguments right there. That's enough of a reason for why God's not opening up the ground and swallowing people up, burnt torching everybody. But also, and here's the thing, while there are, I mean, there's a lot of preachers out there that it's like they want to stone everybody. They they. I mean, if they could call fire down from heaven, they would be doing it on a regular basis. I mean, it's just the spirit that comes from it's not real good. I'm all for being against sin and hate and sin. But, you know, we can't be trying to kill everybody. And the truth is, even though God set those laws up, God had those laws of stoning in the Old Testament. And God wanted them to fulfill those laws. And do those things. We're going to look at some of the later weeks at just how God dealt with some of these people, and it was pretty severe. And there was, a re- and, uh, but the truth is, God has never liked doing that. Ezekiel thirty-three verse eleven says, "Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live." Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, 
O house of Israel. That's a, I don't get pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now we do sometimes when we see bad things happen to some of these evil countries. That, that's God giving them what they deserve. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I've been there before. And you know, every once in a while there will be some preacher that they, they'll like the news media. They know who to go to when these disasters happen. And they'll go talk to some of these people. That was just God pouring out His judgment on them. And oh, how dare you say that? And hey, listen, God can do that stuff. You know, we don't always know if that's why He's doing it. But the truth is, one thing I do know for sure is that God does not enjoy killing the wicked. He doesn't enjoy it. Just like a parent. They don't enjoy punishing their children, but it's necessary. It's what needs to be done. It's what it's what God's commanded. But God doesn't enjoy it. God gets pleasure in the wicked turning from their ways. And I preached on this before. I don't, I don't know if it was here. But the truth is, whenever we do see God's judgment poured out on a nation, on a person, whatever. Back in the Bible days, when that kind of thing happened, it was always devastating and sad to the prophets and to the leaders. They they hated sin because they felt the responsibility because they were the ones that are supposed to be trying to get these people to follow God. And that's what we ought to be feeling. You know, Illinois, we're a pretty wicked state. And if God decides to pour His judgment out on this state... I don't think it would be a good attitude for me to be jumping up and down, cheering on the fact that God's taking care of them. I should be ashamed that I was did not have a bigger part or do better in trying to turn people towards Christ. Because that we're here not to pray down judgment. We're supposed to be here to stall off judgment. Kind of like in Sodom and Gomorrah. God just wanted ten righteous people, but they weren't there. And... God had to destroy the city. He's like, well, if God doesn't like doing it, He's God. Why does He do it? Because God's also a holy God. God's also a righteous God. And therefore, there's going to be times when He is going to need to pour out judgment. But God doesn't enjoy it. And we shouldn't enjoy it when it happens. And so, God doesn't want to kill everybody. 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, if you want to turn over there. 2 Peter... Three nine. A little slow on the page turning today. It says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. We see here that God... It's not, when it says He's not willing, it's not His will, it's not His desire for anyone to perish. And He's talking to Christian people here, by the way. There is a sin unto death. That's another subject. But God does not want to kill us. God does not want to do that. God wants us to repent. And a lot of times, the thing maybe in our country and in the world, when we see... Judgment. It seems like God's seems like God's stalling. It seems like God's moving slow. And listen, He's not slack concerning His promise. God's going to deal with it. But what it is, what we ought to look at it as, is that we are right now under the mercy of God. 
and that we God is being merciful to us and giving us a chance to repent. And boy, we better take advantage of it. I mean, we better take advantage of it because I don't know about you, but I don't. I don't like judgment. But it's clear throughout the Bible that God does not enjoy punishing people. I don't believe God enjoyed swallowing up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. He didn't enjoy that. God didn't enjoy torching those soldiers. God didn't enjoy killing Ananias and Sapphira. What God would have enjoyed is if Ananias and Sapphira would just come clean and say, hey, we lied. We put on a show. We need forgiveness. And we do know that God is anxious to forgive. Very anxious to forgive. So God doesn't. We have a Bible that's supposed to sell the arguments. God doesn't want to kill everybody, but God is also, and this is really this is really what it's all about. It's been, and this is what it's been all about since the very beginning with Adam and Eve. But God is looking for people of faith. Hebrews eleven one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then he goes on he starts naming people. He starts I mean, starting from Abel and then to Enoch and Noah. I mean, he's going on in verse 6. He says, "...but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him." You know, putting your trust and putting, I mean, letting this Bible be your final authority... That takes faith. A belief in a God that you can't see takes faith. And that is exactly what it takes to please God. Is it takes it takes faith. I've always thought it'd be great if they could find Noah's Ark and they can prove to the world that that story is true. And I hope they do, but honestly, we shouldn't need it. I, we, that definitely, I don't think God is obligated to give us that proof says through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. You hear what the evolutionists have to say all the time and yet you get that stuff shoved down your throat all the time. And it's like, you know, man, why can't the Lord do something to just kind of show everybody? Well, He did. He gave us His Word. And we're supposed to accept it by faith. And if it takes any more than that, then we can't please God. And that ought to be our desire is to please God. But God is looking for people of faith. And go to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And we're probably not going to have time to go through this whole chapter, but boy, there's really kind of a theme through this whole chapter. But it says in verse 1, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that man ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared God, or which yeah, feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, "Avenge me of mine adversary." And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, "Though I fear not God, nor regard men, man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me." And the Lord said, "Hear what the unjust judge saith." And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cried day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth? That's an interesting question. It's always interesting when Jesus is asking a question. And honestly, most of the time when He's asking a question, He's trying to show us something. or He's trying to get us thinking. You know, he already knows the answer. And but when he asks this question, it's almost like he's wondering. And I know he's not, I know he's all knowing and everything, but it's interesting. Will he find faith 
on the earth. And then he asks that question. And then he goes into some other stories. In verse 9, he spake a parable unto them which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And then we have the story of the Pharisee praying, Lord, I thank You that I'm not like that publican. We have the publican who smote upon his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Notice this Pharisee, his faith is in himself and his own works. He's feeling pretty good about himself. He's thankful that he's not like this publican. The publican, he's just upset and just really throwing himself at the mercy of God because he knows he's a sinner. He had faith. This man was looking at just trusting in himself. And you know, I'm afraid that that's what God's going to find when he when he returns and he goes and he's looking at the churches and seeing what's going on. We've got a lot of people that are they feel like they're saved not because they put their faith and trust in him, but because maybe they're so much better than other people. That's not faith. That's not faith one bit. And yet that can happen. And listen, I am 100% for holy living and you know, dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's when it comes to the things of God. But boy, when it comes to salvation, it better be about faith and trust in Him. If you're thinking doing all the church stuff is going to get you in heaven, you're going to be in, you're going to be in big trouble. And that's where a lot of people are. Their faith isn't in Jesus Christ. It's in it's in their own works. Then also in verse 15, and they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Why did they throw this story here in the same the same spot? Because who has more faith than little children? And he flat out tells them, except you come as a little child. Little kids, they don't know. In fact, little kids, they have a lot of questions. My little two-year-old, she asks a lot of questions. They're very, they're very inquisitive. And you know what? They take what you say is gospel. They have faith. What their mommy and daddy's telling them is true. They don't, and they, uh, and they, they believe. And that's what we have to do to get saved. We have to come as a little child. And we have to ask a God that we cannot see to come in our heart and save our sins. And then we believe that He did. And our faith and our trust is in Him. And Jesus is talking about faith, and that's, I believe that's why He liked the little children. These people, these little children, they had faith. And then He goes on in verse 18, and a certain ruler asked Him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And you know the story. Jesus goes through and He names off some of these commandments. He's like, hey, all these have I kept from my youth. Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. But He went away sorrowful because He had great possessions. This man was, once again, trusting in his own works. He wasn't putting his faith in his trust. and He wasn't willing to do that. He was trusting in his riches or he was trusting in his goodness. And notice how Jesus, with those commandments that He named, He didn't mention the first ones. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. He mentioned the ones that this guy had probably kept. And I think what He was trying to show him, I don't know if maybe He left those out on purpose because that guy seemed to know the commandments so good. Maybe Jesus was trying to 
get a point across, that guy should have said, wait, Lord, you forgot a few of them. Thou shalt love the Lord God. But he wasn't thinking about that. Because the truth is, that was, he, was, he didn't love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his possessions more. He had another God before, him, uh, before the true God. He did, and he did not have the faith. He did not have that kind of the faith that he needed. The truth is, anybody in their right mind, if they have faith in Jesus Christ that He's the only way to salvation, and if they have faith that there is a heaven and that there is a hell, if Jesus did ask us to sell all that we have and give it away, anybody with faith would do it in a heartbeat. It wouldn't be a problem. And we know you don't have to have faith, or you don't have to sell everything you have to go to heaven. But listen, if Jesus told us to do that, if we really believed, we wouldn't have a problem doing it. Because, listen, eternity is a long time. And while I might starve to death on this world if I get sell everything I have and give it away, probably won't. But even if I did, that's a whole lot better than dying and going to hell. That should be kind of a no-brainer right there. But the truth is, He didn't really have faith. And that's what Jesus was looking for. He didn't have it. God is looking for people of faith. Throughout that chapter, God is looking for people of faith. And He's not finding it in these people except in the little children. And then Jesus goes on in verse 28, Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said to them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. You know, the truth is nobody ever really gives up anything for God. We, earthly speaking, we do. But when it comes to eternity, we don't. When we come to how God's going to pay us back, it's really, it's really nothing. When we get to heaven, and we see the rewards that God has for us, we are not going to feel like we sacrificed one thing. And God God takes care of those who follow Him. So, God is looking. He's gave us a Bible to settle the arguments. God does not want to kill everybody. He gets no pleasure in that. What God does get pleasure in is people of faith. That's what God's been looking for from the beginning of time. And you need to remember that because it's going to come into play in some of the later messages. But God has been looking for people of faith. So, God doesn't... Okay, I understand why God doesn't do that now. But why did He do it then? And then just and just real quickly, because I don't want to get into some of the next messages. But the truth is, we needed a law in order to understand sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. And this, I'm telling you right here, this is key to understanding a lot of the just flat out goofiness that we're seeing in our country right now. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. This is God's word is how we know what's sin and what's not sin. And because we know what God's Word said, because we understand sin, we understand that a lot of lifestyle choices that people make, a lot of the stuff that you do, it's going to affect you in a negative way. It's going to hurt you. It's going to cause you pain physically and emotionally. And we live in a world today where any type of mental pain that people get, they call it 
a mental illness. And they try to give drugs to fix every little mental illness. Where what the way God made things is we're supposed to turn from that sin. That's why when we touch fire, it hurts. God put nerves in our hands that says, hey, don't touch that. That's going to hurt you. God's done the same thing spiritually to us. There's certain things we get involved in them. It's going to hurt. That says, hey, I better not do that anymore. That's what we're supposed to do. But because our world today, they do not understand sin, their mindset is just whatever you want to do, you're supposed to do it. If it feels good, do it. I mean, all the diseases and stuff that's going on because of immorality and things, those are supposed to be warnings. But instead, they're trying to find cures for all these things. They're trying to find drugs to mask the symptoms of these things because they don't understand sin. And if you don't recognize the fact that there is a sin, then you're never going to be able to fix the problem. And if you do not recognize that there is a God, then how in the world can there be sin? How in the world? And if you say that there is no God and we do not have God's Word, then how in the world are we supposed to know what's right and wrong? It would be just like it was in Judges. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And and that's kind of what's going on in our country today. We've not accepted we have not accepted it. But we needed the law to understand sin. Those Old Testament laws that God was trying to show us something. We would not understand sin. We would not understand salvation. Any of the, we wouldn't be able to understand the New Testament without that Old Testament. We've got to have both of them. That's why we use both of them. And we'll get more into that next week. But we needed the law to understand sin. God was showing us what was necessary to earn salvation. You want to find another way to heaven besides Jesus Christ? Keep every bit of the law from your birth to your death. And good luck on that, by the way. <laughs> but that God was showing, hey, okay. Cain, Cain and Abel. Cain wanted to work his way to heaven. He brought the fruit of the ground. That wasn't good enough. Many other people, the people in the Tower of Babel, they wanted to build a tower to heaven. That wasn't good enough. There's all kinds of ways people tried. So God said, fine. I'll show you what you have to do to get to heaven. God knew from the beginning it was going to have to be the, by the blood of a lamb, the righteous lamb, his son. But God had to show the world. And so we went through centuries of man messing up, making mistakes, God revealing more and more things so they would understand. But God has shown us what was necessary to earn salvation. God was showing us how to have paradise on earth. If we'd followed that Old Testament law completely, we would have paradise, I believe, on this earth. But good luck with that. Uh, God was showing us that ultimately God was showing us that salvation can only be obtained by grace through faith. That's ultimately what's supposed to teach us. We're supposed to look at that law and what God expected and look at the people that tried to follow it and just how they crashed and burned every time. And what it all caused us to do is get on our faces and then focus on the person that we meet in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, and say, only by Your righteousness, Lord, do I have a chance of going to heaven. And then when you get that gift of salvation, you realize that, you know what? You know why God doesn't do that now? Because if He did, I probably would have got swallowed up a long time ago. I, I bet there, I'm sure there's probably some in here. You'd have gotten torched a time or two. And I'll bet you're thankful that God didn't do that then. I'll bet you're thankful you got 
that you got your chance. And that's what God wants wants for everybody. And so, in a nutshell, that's kind of why God doesn't do that now. And hopefully over the next weeks, we can kind of look at more of these things and, and understand a little bit more what God and, and we can learn some of the lessons that God was trying to teach us with those laws that He gave in the Old Testament, with the examples that He gave. But ultimately, I hope we remember, we've, we've got the Word of God. Let's just follow it. Don't look at circumstances. Don't worry about what the crowd says. Don't worry about majorities and things like that. Word of God settles every argument. So let's all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.